0: Hey guys, this week's podcast is brought to you by the fastest growing and most active app for hunters, anglers, and outdoor enthusiasts. Of course, I'm talking about Go Wild. Thousands of people are joining weekly. So if you're tired of the hate on social media that hunters and outdoor enthusiasts experience at the hands of anti-hunters, tree huggers, and animal rights activists, then you need to join Go Wild. In addition to sharing your hunting and fishing experiences, Go Wild is a great place to share recipes ask questions, and meet other awesome people that are passionate about the outdoors. Plus, Go Wild gives money back to conservation groups and organizations like Raise Them Outdoors, which is helping teach kids to hunt and fish. They do weekly big-time giveaways, including $500 coolers, $150 in fishing tackle, vortex gear, hammocks, broadheads, fly rods, and tons of other great stuff. It's free, and it's available on both Android and iPhones. Check it out. It's Go Wild, and I want to invite you to be a part of this awesome and growing community.
1: Damn straight, damn John, damn all you smooth country singing cowboys.
0: Good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Mike and the Moon Pies, Dan straight kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. It is great to be here, talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies with you fine folks. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here today. Truly, the highlight of my week each and every week is being here, talking, hunting, and fishing, and all that implies with you. And, uh, and this is actually, you know, I, I always say it's a great time to be alive in the great outdoors because it is, but this is that time of the year where I, I really do call it the downtime. Turkey season's over. Um, you know, there's spring planting to be done. Lots of management projects and uh, habitat improvement to be done. But generally speaking, it's time to hit the lake or head to the coast and get after the trout and redfish, uh, which is what I'm going to do as soon as we get off the air today. Uh, So for me, it's a a little bit more of a a fishing-heavy time of year. I'm sure some of you all feel the same way. Of course, there's always hogs that need whacking, though. And uh, based off of the videos and pictures you guys keep sending in, (laughs) you're doing your part. Uh, Also, did you all see that... uh, sodium nitrate based poison that Texas Parks and Wildlife has been playing around with. And we actually had division director Clayton Wolf on two or three months ago to talk about that poison, which is being tested in Texas and Georgia this summer. And so far, big screw up. Uh, 200 dead birds were found near one of the bait sites, killed them immediately. And this poison, the sodium nitrate based one, it only takes one application, meaning the animals only have to eat it once and it kills them. Uh, So, so far, not going well on the testing front for Texas Parks and Wildlife. Y'all can uh, look that story up. I think the link is in the, uh, in my profile on our Instagram page. But uh, yeah, putting poison into the food chain. Who would have thought that wasn't going to work out? Hmm, crazy. Uh, Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you today. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the campfire, pour yourself another cup of coffee because we're ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we'll be joined by Yeti Coolers' Ben O'Brien. We're going to dive into the, uh, well, the kind of public skirmish between the NRA and Yeti, which came down about a month ago now, uh, where the NRA claimed that Yeti dropped them from their corporate sponsorship program. Well, that's probably not really what happened. We'll get Yeti's side of the story uh, because I actually did all the research and know what happened, and I think it was handled very poorly, to be honest. Probably both sides could have done things differently, wish they would have done things differently. But Ben has actually worked for the NRA and currently works for Yeti, so we'll pick his brain on that. And then also, what about grip and grin photos meaning those trophy pictures where the hunter is sitting there with a nice buck or bear alligator even a fish and just smiling in a lot of cases i mean obviously it's a hunting photo the animal's dead uh what kind of message does that send to non-hunters and anti-hunters well more specifically non-hunters is it something that we should continue to do i don't know i mean i do it all the time i post my own grip and grins post y'alls too on our social media accounts, and I personally have no problem with them. I I like seeing them, and uh, I think it's a natural tendency to be smiling after you harvest that animal that that you worked so hard for. Uh, But other people have different takes, and we'll get Ben's take here today. Uh, Then we will spend a couple segments with Matt Pell of ACUBO. He'll jump on all the way from Illinois, and we'll talk some Midwest public land whitetail hunting. Uh, It is an opportunity for out-of-staters to take a big Illinois buck, and uh, it's not a great, you know, your odds aren't great of getting that tag. I know they do make it a a little difficult, but hey, it's a lot easier to get that tag than it is to, say, draw an elk tag in most states, and Illinois has a ton of public land whitetail opportunity. Uh, Matt's taken some big bucks over the years in his home state, so we will discuss that as well as get the latest and greatest from Acubo. They've got some very exciting stuff going on, including the first augmented reality app for bow hunters. Uh, so we'll discuss that at the bottom of the hour. That's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one, guarantee you that. Um, let's, let's do this. Let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Coons Canyon Ranch cooler bag. Uh, I think it's a 24-can soft pack cooler, and we'll throw in a Coons Canyon Ranch koozie as well. To uh, we'll make anyone eligible. All you have to do is email the words Coons Canyon Ranch. That's K O O N S Canyon Ranch to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Coons Canyon Ranch Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into the cooler and koozie giveaway. Uh, and then also, don't forget that our June photo of the month contest, it's actually May and June, is going on right now. And we're going to offer up a Vortex Strike Eagle scope uh, to this month's winner. Or month's winner. So email your best outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it on our Facebook page. Or you can use the hashtag LSOSphotocontest on Instagram. We'll get you entered, and then uh, all the contestants, the, the finalists, will go into a fan vote at the end of June to determine who wins the scope. Um, all right, let's take a break. Up next, we'll be joined by Yeti Coolers' Ben O'Brien. What really transpired between the NRA and Yeti Coolers? We discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show
2: gotta go now baby if i hurry i can still make
0: shine. hey guys cable here for chama chairs the chama chair is the all-terrain swivel chair designed out of necessity because the owners were tired of poor performing hunting chairs the chama weighs less than eight pounds silently swivels 360 degrees converts to a stool has tear resistant fabric telescoping legs and pivoting duck feet the carrying bag even has accessory pockets and gun and bow straps chama chairs is revolutionizing the hunting chair it's literally making all other hunting chairs obsolete and you can find them at ChamaChairs.com.
2: hey north texas sports fans this is brian spagnola general manager of texas motor cars in addison my family's been in the car business for over 50 years and i want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles, it can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit texasmotorcars.com or come visit our 20,000 square foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit texasmotorcars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS.
1: We ain't a baby, anymore. It's about time. I hope I don't
0: cross the line. One of my favorites there from our good buddy, it's William Clark Green. Time. It's about time, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Uh, Thanks to you guys and gals as well for tuning in today. I appreciate each and every one of you as we're just about set to visit with uh, Ben O'Brien of Yeti Coolers. But before we do that, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. Check out the Pulsar Helion. It's the monocular that I have in my pack every time I go hunting if it's legal in that state. Uh, But here's why. Even if you can't Shoot something, say you don't have a thermal scope mounted on your rifle, um, you can still use that monocular to locate game so that you don't blow them out on your way to your tree stand or even walking around in the backcountry. It doesn't matter. Uh, It's such a valuable tool and uh, I just absolutely won't leave without it. Plus, it's got an internal recording device uh, so you can record any of the footage that you're seeing through that thermal monocular. It's the Pulsar Helion. You'll save 20% off your order. If you use my promo code LONESTAR when you check out at PULSARNV.com. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our first guest here. Uh, he joins us from the Austin, Texas area, which is where Yeti Coolers is based. And Ben O'Brien, uh, he is the head of their hunting ambassador program, or just really the face of Yeti hunting and has a lot of influence in that department. And we've got much to discuss uh, concerning the NRA, also grip and grin trophy photos, and much more. So without further ado, Ben, thanks for being here today, brother.
3: Thanks, Cable, man. Appreciate you having me on.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I know
4: you you actually live in in the Austin area, but uh, I don't think you're originally from here.
3: No, no, I'm a trans fat Texan at this point. Um, You know, I live outside of Austin, Texas here, came down. I've been here about three and a half years, I would say, for for Yeti. So Yeti brought me down. Um, Prior to my gig at Yeti as hunting marketing manager, I was uh, living in Illinois and working for a magazine called Pearson's Hunting as an editor for those folks. And then prior to that, living back where I'm from on the East Coast, originally from Maryland, uh, started my career at the NRA working for American Hunter magazine. Wow. Okay. Oh so, yeah, journalist McGree. I'm from Maryland originally. Grew up hunting, grew up fishing, and grew up doing those things, and kind of stumbled into the industry about, I guess, it'd be about eleven years ago now, and, and uh, into the NRA when I was right out of college.
4: Well, the NRA and Yeti have, have kind of been synonymous uh, when people have been talking about them here the last couple weeks. Um, but, which would you, would you, I'll ask you your your thought on that here in just a second, but. What is your job description with Yeti? I mean, I see your Instagram. You get to do a lot of cool stuff, but uh, I think that's probably just the the, the fun aspect of it. Uh, what do you actually do? Maybe oh, it's fun. Mean, yeah, I mean, I love my job. It's
3: <laughs> fun, man. I, you know, I always say, like, just for me, my career is in the hunting industry. Um, wherever that may land. You know, I love Yeti, and I stay here as long as they will have me, but I really am dedicated most just to the hunting industry and the community. Uh, being a part of that uh, for, for as long as that community will have me. But my job here is mu- mostly that. We have a, a department called community marketing where we have folks like myself who are dedicated to certain communities. And, and as they've said to me in the past, my job is to be the internal um, face for hunting at Yeti and then vice versa. Out in the hunting community, try to to help be the face of Yeti in that world as well as, a bunch of other things that I manage. So I manage our ambassador team, which um, comes with just, I think we have 28 total hunting ambassadors and then everybody, everything from guys like Cam Haynes and Remy Warren to, you know, Alaska hunting guides like Cole Kramer um, to waterfowl hunting guides like Tony Vandemore, just a bunch of different people from a bunch of different walks of life that represent what we think is the best in hunting. And then I'll, I run all our conservation programs, so Yeti works with, I believe at this point, 12 different conservation groups from QDMA on down to Texas Wildlife Association um, and everything in between that you can think of. So I manage that program and then guides and outfitters, uh, partnership with brands, events in the hunting space like Total Archery Challenge and others that we take part in. And, um, yeah, anything, that, anything that's hunting-related basically falls under me, which is uh, just how I like it.
4: Right on so let's let's do talk a little bit about the uh, social media uh, firestorm that was created here. I don't know who's right or wrong. I don't really know what happened. Uh, but you would have thought that uh, there's going to be World War III breakout between uh, loyal Yeti customers and, and NRA Life members. Uh, I'm a supporter of the NRA. I know, you know, gun control rights wouldn't look very different in our country if not for... The NRA's historically hardline stance on the Second Amendment. But this whole deal seemed like it was handled very poorly on their side.
3: Yeah. Um, it's an interesting dichotomy of, like, of how it happened. And, and I can tell you, I haven't talked to enough people at the NRA to really know how it happened on their side. Um, and I can't really, I mean, I don't think it's perfect when you really speak for Yeti other than the fact that. Um, my role here, as I was talking about, is to really have my finger on the pulse of what Yeti believes and our work in conservation and the things that we do. And those, the discount programs that we're at were, I imagine, the beginning of of the issue were, were not under me, but I was involved in those conversations, as well as being involved in the early days of when we started our conservation program and what, who we donate to and why we donate to those folks. And... Um, I can tell you that I've never once run into any official policies here that are anti-NRA or any anti-Second Amendment policies. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. Mm-hmm. Um, our founders are NRA members themselves. They are whitetail hunters. They are bass fishermen. They have a ranch on the border, and all they do is go down there and shoot guns. So it's it's ingrained in who we are, it's my job to kind of, push that forward. So overall, I would say any characterization of our brand is not supporting the Second Amendment and gun rights. is just flat out wrong. Um, and in that situation, there was a discount program that was canceled and replaced with a different type of discount program. Um, that was the substantial thing that happened that triggered that, that outrage. So uh, it's just unfortunate because I don't think the NRA wins. I don't think we win. I don't think anybody wins. Um, in this situation and um, there's a lot of bad things that happened here a lot of people got cursed out some people got spit at in the parking lot of the other employees some people got uh, shouted down because got things thrown at them like it 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 uh, was not pleasant. Fine. and if you kind of have the knowledge that I have about the situation it, it's really unnecessary and then not something our community should focus on mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. well it's interesting because you worked for both parties so um, you know Obviously, everyone knows what the NRA stands for, but uh, sure. Yeti's beliefs as well. Um, you...
3: Yeah, we. I'll tell you, we when we started our conservation program, we we decided. We said, you know, what are the things because we're not just in hunting; we're fishing. Brand, I mean, our brand really started. In the fishing community, um, and we've expanded to ranch and rodeo. We have a barbecue and beer community. We have an outdoor community. Oh hell,
4: man! When when we trick or treat in the neighborhood, all of the housewives have a Yeti cup full of whatever yeah, their yeah. drink of choice is. So it's it's a lifestyle uh, brand, you know yeah. as well.
3: Yeah, and so you know my job. They call me the core guy. This is the core people who first started buying Yetis were hunters and fishermen and anglers and friends of the NRA members people like that. um, And so we value that as something we'll never go away from because we can't, because it's who we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's what truly is happening here. So in that way, it's just a shame and like I said, I was in the beginning of our conservation program, we were very clear about habitat and access being the things that we felt were the most important to us. Now, because we didn't give money to the NRA in the beginning, does that make us anti gun? No, because we we sponsored events. We went to their trade show. We went to the NRA convention. We went to uh, the Great American Outdoor Show. We advertised in American Hunter Magazine. We did a lot of things with the NRA, I gave them a lot of Yeti dollars and a lot of our time and effort. Um, you know, we, we felt like they're an important organization. We feel like, still feel like they're an important organization, and the things that they do are absolutely key to the things that we do. But, um, there's no tolerance for the what they've, you know, the campaign against us that they've put on here. It doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. They're not going to win anything, and uh, they're just, you know, dividing a pretty important base for all of
4: us. Take whoever's right or wrong out of it. It it just was a stupid, uh, PR move, because like you said, why um, cause division within the hunting or or even Second Amendment community? It just we're at a time right now where that is the last thing we need. So,
3: You know, as a brand, Yeti said our statement of facts. We put out what we believe in a couple different forums, and we're not going to get dragged in the muck yeah. on posting GIFs and memes about something the NRA might have said or done. So it's just sure. not not becoming of an organization. It's not becoming of theirs to do that. But um, it's a shame, man. As somebody who worked there and who feels very strongly about the people there and has walked that building, and stood in the NRA Museum and stood uh, next to the statues and next to all the things that I I really believe in. It's a shame that there's a, a faction in, inside of that organization that's kind of taking it a different way. And mm-hmm. um, I, would, I would just want everyone to know that there's real... When the NRA says something and tells you to be mad about something, There um, there is a real, real impact of those words. I mean, there's people... Here at Yeti, who have been, like I said, they've been treated poorly by uh, their fellow Second Amendment lovers for really no reason. Um, And so that's really, to me, the saddest part about it.
4: Yeah. Well, as someone who's served on uh, the Dallas Ducks Unlimited uh, chapter committee for, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, um, lots of banquets, you guys, and even just like our random happy hour things, it seems like uh, we always have a Yeti cooler to raffle off. And uh, some of them I think have been straight donations, and, and some probably, you know, we bought through a discount program and then turned a profit for Ducks Unlimited off of it. So, going back to that conservation initiative that you mentioned, I know that's something that you guys are, are still uh, 100% behind.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, we've, we've ramped it up rather than the opposite. Now, we've got, like I said, we've got 12 organizations DU, Delta for the duck side of things, we've got Pheasants Forever. Q D M A, Army F, I mean anything you can name, we probably have our we've probably done something with them and tried to help them out in some way along the way. So um, yeah, we could probably do better as a brand to talk about that stuff more openly, but we felt early on that we needed to we're a young company still. I mean we're still only eleven years old, so we really wanted to get our foot Held in those conservation worlds, so they respected us before we started beating our chest about it or telling the story. So we really haven't as a brand talked much about those activities. So I can see why a lot of folks that aren't in the know would would wonder what we do or have done. But yeah. anybody like yourself, anybody like yourself that's involved, usually understands that we're, we've been there for some time.
4: Yeah. Well, well, now that we've got that out of the way, uh, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. Come back and, and talk about some more uh, some some fun stuff. How's that sound?
0: Perfect. Excellent. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Overstocks and Bargains, your discount ammo dealer. You'll save 10% off your entire ammunition order when you use my promo code Lone Star when you check out at overstocksandbargains.com. We'll be right back with more from Yeti's Ben O'Brien. Grip and grins. We discuss them next on the Lone Star Outdoors show.
1: Did I say that I need Oh, did I say that I want you? Or if I didn't, I'm a fool, you see. No one knows this more than me. As I
0: come clean up. Hey guys, Cable here for Go Wild. Let me tell you something. If you're tired of all the hate on social media, then you need to check out Go Wild. It is that simple. It's a community of hunters, anglers, outdoor enthusiasts who, let's just say, don't hate on each other the way that vegans, liberals, and tree huggers like to berate us on social media. So, if you're looking for an alternative, then check out Go Wild. It's available on both uh, iPhone and Android. It's free. And they also have a new podcast out. It's called Restless Native And they interviewed uh, our current guest, Ben O'Brien, a couple weeks ago and went in depth on Griffin Grins, among other things. So uh, if you want to hear more info, if you're digging today's conversation with Ben, uh, you can check it out on the Restless Native podcast as well. Check it out. It's the Go Wild app. You need to be on it. I'm on it. I'll see you there.
5: Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Creep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of t the T-Post game camera mount. t is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-Post, and latch it in place. t will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's TPostMount.
0: visit bobcat of dallas.com or call 469-586-0000
2: hey y'all chris letzinger online sales manager at cinnamon
0: creek ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club we're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges full pro shop and six different 3d courses cinnamon creek was designed by hunters for hunters located in ronan texas we have over 200 3d targets to hone your archery skills Call 817 439 8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's
1: cinnamoncreekranch.com. In the corners, going 90,
2: looking blindly falling, head over heels over you. You have a feeling.
0: There's a little Aaron Watson bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. And uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players, our longtime presenting sponsors. Uh, We are still visiting with Yeti Cooler's Ben O'Brien. And we're about to get into the increasingly controversial topic of grip and grins as a hunting community... Is that something we should embrace, or should those kind of photos be the ones that you just send to your buddy? Because personally, I don't really have a problem with them. Uh, yeah, it's I'm all smiles when I harvest an animal, and it's not because I'm gloating or uh, have some crazy bloodlust. That hey, look at how much of a badass I am! I killed this animal. No, it's because of a lot of times blood, sweat, maybe a few tears, and uh, just hours and hours of preparation, and oftentimes money, went into that moment in time. And so, I'll be honest, sometimes I'm more relieved <laughs> that uh, I found success than anything else. And uh, and, and yeah, a smile is a, a natural human emotion when you accomplish that goal. Whatever it may be, um, but uh, there's a bunch of folks out there who are kind of leading a charge that maybe we shouldn't be doing that. Uh, Not saying don't take the picture, just don't put it on social media because it makes us look bad. And I don't really know if I agree with that or not. Uh, To be honest with you, I I don't have a problem with somebody sitting there smiling, holding a big buck's head up that they just killed. It's fine with me. Uh, But I think there is a discussion, and and it keeps coming up. So, hey, let's talk about it. Um, It's always great to hear other people's views. And we'll get into that. And, and I think that view stems from the anti-hunting community, uh, the pressure that hunters feel from the antis and uh, the fact that they can use it as ammunition against us. Um, because why would a bunch of hunters really care? Uh, that wouldn't make sense at all. Uh, no one's going to be offended, uh, another hunter anyway, if, if you're sitting there smiling with your kill. Um, okay, Which we'll get into all that here in just a second. First, however, this segment, proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. To get plugged in with this great group of folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation, check us out at biggame.org. All right. Uh, well, Ben, let's go ahead and get back into it, man. Thanks for sticking around through the break. Certainly appreciate it.
3: Yeah, no problem, man. It's a fun time, though. Uh,
4: some other things I wanted to discuss today. Uh, I was looking at your Instagram page, and, and this one – photo and write up really stood out to me. It was about gripping grins, which, you know, we all do it. I don't know. And I don't know like when or uh, like historically we decided that taking a photo with us sitting there smiling with a big buck or name the species, whether it's a lion or uh, an alligator or a strap of ducks, why that became so important. Um, but obviously it did. And, and I'll, I'll admit, I take them, I post them. I'm grinning ear to ear when I harvest an animal because usually a lot of work and effort went into that, and, uh, and I'm excited, and, and I think there's reason to smile.
3: Yeah. No, I've taken millions of gripping grins. Not millions. That would be, that'd be impossible, but I've I'm taken plenty of gripping grins. Um, and I don't know that you know, I'm don't know that i 100% against the idea of a gripping grins. I would like people to be aware of how they're seen outside of our community, outside of our bubble, Of the hunting community. Um, I think that's probably the most important point. Now, if we stopped taking them, would that make, would that push hunting into the future? I don't know. Probably not. But if we started to understand how they're seen outside of our group, um, and really, because if you and I were texting back and forth and we're sending grip and grin, we both understand what that is. We both understand that it's, that smiles hard work, that smiles appreciation for the challenge, that smiles the fun you had getting to that animal—that's not your smile of "I murdered this thing" and I'm, I have bloodlust and I'm excited about that.
4: Oh, look at all this delicious meat that I just got! <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, it, man, and that, and that experience is, is something to be happy about. Um, you don't want to be frowning there just for just for the camera. Um, and so I I tend to think like gripping grins are something that I share with my hunting um, I don't necessarily put them on. On my social media, or put them on places where I can't really control the audience, and that is to say, you know, the one or two or three or four people that I want to see that Griffin grin that know what it means. You know, I share that on social. As much as I think I know the audience, I don't really know the audience, and I wouldn't uh, if I was telling a friend of mine who doesn't hunt about my hunting experience. I wouldn't whip out a Griffin and grin and show it to him. I would show him, you know, photos of the mountains, photos of the people, photos of the process, the skill that it takes to get there. And then once he understands those things, then I'd show him the picture of the dead animal, what form don't So I think it's it's mostly, I'm a journalist student um, and a journalist at heart. So it's mostly to me, like the first rule of journalism is know your audience. And so I just try to preach that to people. Just know, know where that photo is going to end up. You know, I moved here to Austin and, Worked the at Yeti, and there's not not everybody in this building is hunters. In, in The urban area of Austin, there's, it's pretty left leaning. So I had to kind of explain to a lot of people at a lot of cocktail parties and a lot of events what hunting was, and uh, I started to realize maybe some of the things that I needed to to change up. If I was to be able to do that.
4: Uh, it's funny, uh, Lone Star Beer has been a, a sponsor of our show for gosh, um, six years maybe. They're owned by Paps in L.A. You know, the first time I met with them, these hipsters from LA invited me to Austin, and they had no idea about what hunting was. Kind of in the same vein that you're talking about, or why it was important in our culture, in our heritage here in Texas. And um, they signed on, and, and it's been a great relationship. But there's been at least one time where they're were like, we're, "We think we're going to get rid of this." Is through <laughs> their uh, their uh, regional brand manager, and they're like, "We, we think we're going to cut ties with Cable because he just." He says and does some things that we just aren't comfortable with, and the guy was like, "No, this is Texas. We put camo on our beer can. This is your number one regional brand in the United States, and he's doing a good job. So you don't understand the audience. I do. We're gonna we're gonna stick with him. <laughs> uh, so it's funny though because people from different areas, like you said, Austin. Austin is it is a a melting pot for sure. Uh, yeah, well- much in the same vein as like Boulder or, or Denver, you know? Um, but, uh, Absolutely.
3: That's what really got me. I mean, I spent my whole life farming. I grew up in a pretty rural, redneck area of Maryland. And that's what I, I grew up in that bubble. And I got into the hunting industry and it got even worse. I had more. There was more group think, more tribalism. Mm-hmm. I worked for hunting magazines. And there was a few magazines I worked for that at Griffin Grim was the cover every time. Yeah. And that's okay because people that see that generally understand what it means. Um, But I mean, if you go back to the history of the gripping grin, I've done a lot of reading about this and just poking around in the industry of trying to find out what the modern gripping grin, I think there's been all the way back to Roosevelt. There's been stand on the dead animal with your foot on it, holding your rifle. Um, But it's just a different, that's a different feeling. That seems like a preservation of a moment. But like the modern gripping grin where we've, we've, Kick the dead animal up and took it into a vista and wiped its mouth off and even if some put fake eyes in it and put, put the gear we use in front of it and take as photos. I think that probably goes back to the late 80s, early 90s when we, when hunting DVDs and hunting media kind of started to make their growth curves. Um, and on from there, but then that used to be, and I remember going to trade shows when guys would pull out photo books of the different grins. Hmm. Uh, and, sure. and that was cool that interaction was great because like I said we understood what that was but then social media came around and we started to treat social media like those split books at our trade shows and people started to see those things that we weren't able to fully explain and they started to misinterpret those messages and it kind of snowballed and we got to a point where grip and grins became the flag of of anti-hunting and of the show of this trophy hunting mentality, I think got a little bit out of out of control. So that's where my post is coming from. Just mm-hmm. hey, let's what this has become. Nobody means I know what I know what my fellow hunters mean by these things, and they're not negative, but let's understand that we don't need to have these. It's not something we need to hang on to. It's not positive. So let's adjust it in in the form where we can and hang on to it in our personal conversations. I think that would fix from being in Austin and talking to a lot of non-hunters, I think that would fix some things. Um, yeah. Just as a way to acknowledge that we can be better communicators.
0: Sure.
4: Well, let me ask you this. This is a, this is an interesting aspect of, of the whole social media thing. Like, when was the last time you or I stalked a, a pro-vegan page or uh, PETA yeah. or the Humane Society for that matter? I can't tell you. I never look at that kind of crap. So yeah. why are they spending all this time <laughs> stalking our pages that's what i just can't understand there how do you have so little to do in your life that you are going to go onto a, a hunting page on whatever name the, the platform doesn't matter but you're going to go on there just to make yourself angry i don't get it yeah
3: yeah <laughs> I, I think it, i you'll never understand like if you don't i rarely go on things that are that are aren't of interest in, in fights in fact i never do
4: yeah uh, no it's not know? productive
3: yeah, I don't have time for that. I don't. I rarely read the comments and threads that get negative because you just can't mentally. I can't logically look at that and say, "Well, here's how I'm going to tackle 100 people that are upset at Yeti about something that they have no knowledge about in in this venue." It's just not going to work because not logically connect. Um, but what I will say is that, especially when it comes to that, like you're just looking at people, and this this was. Very apparent to me with the NRA members, when you develop a rigid worldview, when you develop this certain rigid worldview that that is important to you for the right reason, but becomes this calling card for your hate and anger on social media, you're looking for one a bubble or a tribe of people that will that will uh, agree with your worldview, and then once you find that, you stay in that, but you gather like a little tribal groups to go out and attack people that are that are either attacking your worldview or the saddest part is someone who's just living their lives and celebrating what they love but might that might be against your worldview um, and that's what you're talking about like somebody who is just celebrating hunting and not hurting a soul and doing it all legally and, and positively but for some reason those folks that has developed a vegan worldview and felt like they needed to spread that uh, for lack of a better term love around <laughs> uh, <laughs> they they feel like they need to uh, at least let you know your world view is wrong if not try to convert you to theirs which is a tough way to live your life yeah. I mean, it just,
4: that's a, it's a rough way to
3: live and a, a very negative angry fearful way to live which I don't subscribe to at all
4: no of course not um, and you know uh, going back to what you said that's why I don't interact with uh, when you do see the hate if I do see it, usually I just delete it, um, yes. because there's no sense in. If someone wants to have a conversation, they're on the fence or they say, "Hey, I didn't know that. Can you explain that?" Then obviously we'll have that discourse. But uh, that's that's usually not the norm. Uh, what about what about with a fish though? Because a lot of times yeah. you, I mean, i have taken a grip and grin with a fish. If I catch a thirty-inch trout or a ten-pound bass, I, you can damn well guarantee I'm going to be smiling ear to ear and holding that fish up and getting the best picture I can. Um, and there's a good chance that that fish is going to be released, you know. Uh, if it's a trophy, why wouldn't you put it back? Eat the smaller one. Uh, but, I mean, do you think that it still applies there?
3: Uh, I've had a lot of conversations about this one. Um, I I wonder, you know, and, and this community here in Austin is a great, great example where catch and release fly fishing especially is, Trendy, number one, but it's also celebrated. Um, I think mainly because it's a craft and it's accessible to everyone. You can go do it um, pretty regularly around town. You don't need to go on some big adventure to, to have a fly rod or catch a bass, with, you know, even conventional tackle. Uh, but catch and release has become a thing that's not a problem. It's, it's, in fact, it's celebrated. And uh, in the Western fly community I question that all the time. I'm like, look, if you're going to question my hunting, am I going out and killing something and eating it and taking a photo of it? You can't then go out, hook a fish in the state, pick it up, take a photo of it, throw it back in the water, and go stomping downstream and act like that's a good thing.
6: You can't. Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, you have to understand. One, there is no there's no net positive infat- impact on on fishing or estuaries or streams. For the fish from catch and release fly fishing. There's no net positive. Now, they may argue there's no real serious net negative of catching a, uh, you know, brown trout and tossing it back in the water, but I can tell you the mortality rates on when catch and release fishing aren't 100 aren't or 99%. Uh, no,
4: I've got hooked plenty of fish that I wanted to release. I was like, oh, well, well I guess you're going to get eaten. So. Yeah,
3: I mean, that's... I think I, I grew up eating smoked trout and catching a, out of stream brookies and browns. and so I think. Look, our society is selective in what we get pissed at. We can show ten ducks getting their faces shot off, um, and no problem. But the time we show an arrow going through an, an elk shoulder, or a deer shoulder, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean we have we have a serious issue with how we how we treat animals, how we rank them, how we you know characterize them, and how and how we look at them, I'm always in the face of the catch and release fly fisherman who celebrates that like it's some conservation task because mm-hmm. uh, it is. It just isn't.
4: Those are the fish I want to eat. The ones in the mountain stream. The <laughs> ones I don't. The ones I want to release are the ones in the city. <laughs> you know, I mean, if I'm yeah. fishing in Austin, Texas, or just where I live in North Texas, I don't want to eat those. Half of them are on golf courses, and who knows how many pesticides and fertilizers are dumped into those tanks.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like, what is fishing if it is if it is just to catch the fish and look at it? I mean, they have the term "keep them wet," which is keep catch the fish, keep it in the water, use barbless hook. I'm I like, don't do they, that. Really, yeah, but so you shouldn't. They, they clearly <laughs> have yeah, they clearly have an idea based on "keep them wet" and barbless hook that the fish that that fish is being damaged in some way by doing that. You wouldn't have this program for "keep them wet" or you know, most, least aggressive hooks possible if it wasn't somehow hurting that fish, to pull it out of the water. Um, and so I think there's just some disingenuous nature. I think duck hunters fall into it, too. I'm would be, i a duck hunter. And I, I think duck hunters celebrate whacking geese and ducks at wholesale without really thinking through through what that looks like. And uh, unfortunately, deer hunters and people that hunt ungulates and poorly traders have had to really look hard at what it looks like to be standing over a dead moose but a pile of duck. I don't think, evokes the same reaction. Mm-hmm,
4: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting phenomenon for sure. Um, well, hey, let's do this. We're, we are running kind of low on time here, but I did want to talk about this Nepal blue sheep hunt that you went on uh, because I, I don't know much about this animal, but I know that they live in extreme altitude. And when I think of extreme altitude, you know, I've killed an elk at 11,000 feet. That's, that's up there. But these things were, what, at 15,000 feet?
3: Yeah, 15 to 18, I think is Goodness the general part. 15 to 19. Yeah, we were up up towards 18 when we got got to, to our the highest points of our sheep hunt. Oh.
4: So you knew the altitude, obviously, when you decided to embark on this adventure. How did you go about training yourself to prepare for that hunt?
3: Well, well, I mean, we when we decided to go, it was maybe December or early January, and the hunt we left in mid March. <laughs> so we, I mean, you kind of have to just rely on the one you're training you're already doing, but I uh, really worked on, I trained here at a local swim academy. I really worked on flexibility, pliability, and having my body be able to have my legs and my hips be able to take a beating. And, um, that would allow everything else to, to not have to work as hard. Uh-huh. So there's really no, there's no way other than hyperbaric chambers and some of the crazy training that you would think uh, pro athletes might do training at altitude. So I would have had to, you know, move to Nepal and train for some time okay. to maybe. But uh, there's really no way to combat the things that you're trying to combat, which is, you know, pulmonary cerebral edema, those types of things, um, acute mountain sickness and, uh, all the things that come with being a high altitude, which I found pretty quickly was not something to mess with. Um, you can't really, there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, there's professional climbers who get edemas and you get altitude sickness uh, with no warning. And there's people that have never trained in their life that go there and are fine. So uh, some of the more dangerous conditions, the pros told me, I'd like, hey, there's just no marker for this. I mean, there are some things you can do, but there's not not a whole lot uh, you can do. So we trained hard and just knew it was just going to be something. We had to take diamox. We had to understand what uh, med- medicines we needed to have there. We had to have uh, helicopters on call to pull us out if we needed pulled out. Just just those types of things.
4: Mm-hmm. Now these blue sheep are they are they really a sheep or a goat or what what are they?
3: They are sheep. Um, they call them the the Nepali term is boral but they are, they're a high alpine sheep, they're akin to an Ibex, or akin to, um, you know, even, we think about in Texas, you think about um, Tawdad, or Barbary sheep, they have very similar body structure, smaller than a Barbary sheep, but very similar body structure to those, so they are sheep, Um, they're just a high alpine dwelling sheep, and they uh, eat what they can, and they live a pretty damn hardy life, and they, you know, they travel in pretty large groups, and the really only predator they have over there is the snow leopard, um, and the they have also have longer gyres, which are they, they told us are griffins, this large wingspan, vulture-looking bird that likes to swo- swoop down and and take off the, the little ones.
4: And do they drop so, them down? I think I've seen videos of that. Do they then drop them down on the rocks?
3: Yeah, they do, and they, mostly they prey on already dead sheep and they'll take the bones up high and drop them down and break them to get the bone marrow mm. which is pretty, we never saw any of that but it's pretty creepy to watch one of those things mm. circle overhead with a giant wingspan while you're trying to climb up and get in position to, to get a shot. It's, it, it certainly is a different world over there and that, I would say if anybody interested in that adventure it's just understand that high altitudes at that level are nothing to mess around with. They are, its it'll be tough on every every part of your body sleeping, eating your appetite, your sleep rhythm, your physical body, your mental acuity is all tested over there.
4: Yeah. Now, did you guys have Sherpas?
3: Yeah, we had 26 of them, as a matter of fact. Yeah, I
4: like that word, Sherpa. I don't know why. I just like think it's cool. And, <laughs> like a life goal would be to hunt at least one time with Sherpas. <laughs> yeah. You feel, you
3: feel different. It's a different feeling. I mean, we, had, so we were filming uh, for Yeti over there, So we and that films out uh, now on YouTube called a hunt, um, but we so we were carrying all this camera gear, and we had camp every day. So we had 26 porters and Sherpas that would carry. They had wicker baskets that are strapped to their forehead and that would balance on their backs on their heads, and they would carry, you know,
4: 150,
3: 200 pound loads. And these oh. are guys that are. I'm wearing, you know, $300 Italian boots and sika gear, and they're wearing you know, a 1999 Chicago Bulls runner-up t-shirt and, and some sneakers they got, they found in a puddle. I mean, or sometimes sandals with duct tape around them um, and different things. And these guys are going faster than we are, carrying more weight, and they're wearing literally clothes falling off their body, tattered clothing. And every time you get tired and you think, man, I don't know if I'm sure if I could do this, you look over and you'd see some 20-year-old Nepali. Kid wearing a trench coat and in slippers and carrying two hundred pounds. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I think I can give this a shot. Yeah, they're, they're they're inspiring people, man. They work hard and they're they're as happy as you could ever be. And they, have, they literally, most literally, have nothing. So yeah. it's
4: fascinating. Cool fascinating. It's did you fascinating. did you guys get to eat the the blue sheep?
3: We did. I I was so sick throughout it. That I barely could eat anything. I ate a little bit of rice every night, and eventually ate some blue sheep. But we, so the other hunters in camp, uh, filmmakers, and the porters and sherpas. I mean, we killed two sheep, and they were every bit eyeball, tongue. Um, they cut open the paunch and, and emptied out the the intestines and the guts, and took those back for they made like a traditional haggis-looking dish, and hmm. they li- most literally ate every piece of each one of those sheep and it was you know everything from eyeball on a stick cooked over a fire to back straps and it was all pretty much all consumed
4: wow wow it's a different culture that is for sure but uh one that must have been uh pretty i mean an experience that i mean i can't even imagine um
3: yeah It's, it's it was it was uh I would say it was a perspective. Change.
4: Eyeball on a stick. I mean, goodness.
3: delicious, <laughs> delicious, like a chicken nugget.
4: I think. I mean, I eat most of the the You know, I eat internal organs, tongue, that kind of stuff. Kind of out there, as far as the realm of of what most people think is normal food. But when you tell me eyeball on a stick, that's kind of pushing the boundary for me. You know. <laughs>
3: yeah, me too. I didn't partake. Yeah. But those guys, it's a perspective changer that one, Not only because. You learn what you're made of, one, um, but you also come back. I remember coming back here to town and sitting in traffic a couple of weeks later. After we returned, I lost like 20 pounds and got really sick over there and, and finally made it and got a sheep and got back. and I was sitting in traffic where I normally would be upset about my poor air-conditioned radio listening plight of sitting in traffic. I was happy as could be just to be where I was. So <laughs> I, I was and traffic and in that case I was like, Hey traffic is great. Yeah. Look at all look at all the things I have that those folks don't have. Um so it certainly made me appreciate appreciate that. I can't wait to get the mount back with sheep so I can kinda of have that reminder in my in my house to look at and be like, Hey, don't be screw all those first world problems. Remember yeah. that time you went to the
4: fall? <laughs> you know. Right on. Well hey man, uh it certainly has been enjoyable getting to visit with you. I appreciate the time, and we'll have to talk Mountain Caribou next time we get
0: together.
3: But I appreciate you having me on. appreciate what you do, and uh look forward to the next time.
4: All right, brother. Well, hey, take care. That's it.
0: All right. Ben O'Brien of Yeti Coolers. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you that I'm not going to post any more gripping grins. I damn sure am. Uh, but I'll be more cognizant. I might mix in a few other things, uh, you know, different perspectives. Um, I feel like I already do that anyway, but, uh, yeah. Just something to think about. So whether you agree or disagree, uh, that's really of little significance to me personally because, hey, I just want you out there hunting and just be respectful when you do take that picture. My biggest thing is don't have the animal's tongue hanging out. Do not just have it laying there in a pool of blood. We all know that that is hunting and that's reality, and those photos do not offend me one bit, but they are offensive to non-hunters. All I have to do is have some buddies over who don't hunt uh, in the fall to watch a football game and I could show them that picture and they'd be like, man, that's graphic. Uh, so do do be cognizant of that fact. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by First Light Hunting. Uh, I just got back from a Montana bear hunt. And if you, if you don't have a pair of the obsidian pants yet, you need to get them. Talk about bushwhacking. I got a whole new respect for bushwhacking, which we'll get into next week. But I could not tear these pants up. I tried and tried. Not on purpose, but they went through the ringer and they kept me warm, you know, in the mornings when it was a little cool and they kept me cool uh, as I was perspiring in the afternoons. Uh, so check out the Obsidian Pants. Might be my new favorite thing from First Light. First Light, go further, stay longer. And you can find it firstlight.com, by the way. Up next, we discuss Illinois Public Land Bruisers. That's right. A lot of great whitetail opportunity, even for out-of-staters. We'll get into that, as well as the latest and greatest from Acubo. It's Acubo CEO and founder, Matt Pell, coming up on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution, the System Hog Trap Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. <coughs> Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 Mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com.
5: Have you had the frustration of trying to mount your game camera to a T-Post with zip ties or bailing wire, but the first time you check it, find it pointing at the ground? I have. My name is Art Greep with Gunny Art Products. I'm the inventor of T-Mate, the T-Post game camera mount. t is a rugged steel bracket. Just attach your camera to it, slip it over a T-Post, and latch it in place teammate will end your zip tie and bailing wire frustration. Order yours today at tpostmount.com. That's tpostmount.com.
2: Hey, this is Cody Jinx, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. My old friend, I know you never let me down as years
5: went by. You went on your way.
1: Like the win. Uh,
0: my old friends, the name of that one from our old friend Cody Jinx, bringing us back right here on the Lone Star outdoor show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for dropping by. As um, know, we're all set to head to the Midwest and chase some big Illinois public land bucks with Acubo CEO and founder Matt Pell. Uh, but before we do that, which is actually very appealing to me. <laughs> Because it's not that expensive for uh, a non-resident to go up there and hunt public land whitetail. Uh, but anyway, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by something you would never find in Illinois. I'm talking about all seasons feeders. Check out the 600-pound stand and fill. It's what I have on both of my deer leases. It's so easy. No more backing your truck up next to the feeder. No more standing on the bed of your truck no more having to haul a ladder around you just stand there open the corn up and dump it in it's that easy oh and did i mention that it's built like a mac truck yeah hogs can't knock it over it is the best feeder out there bar none and you can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. okay uh well let's go ahead and bring on matt pell like i said uh, acubo founder and ceo joining us now matt it's great to have you back on
6: brother Yeah, thanks for having me, Cable. I'm excited to be on here. Oh, yeah. It's my pleasure. My
4: pleasure. It's been a while since we last visited. uh, But a lot has happened with ACUBO in that time frame, and we're going to get into some of that cool stuff today. Uh, But first, I want to talk about your whitetail season, because you were all over the place. I don't remember how many bucks you were able to arrow, but uh, I I think you came down to Texas, and then you also had some public land success back home.
6: Yeah, yeah, man. I had a pretty good whitetail season uh, this past fall. Um, I do a lot of, uh, public land hunting here in my home state of Illinois. Um, and so I, um, uh, I was fortunate enough to, uh, shoot a nice, uh, nine pointer kind of right at the start of the rut beginning of November, um, on public land here. Then I shot down to Texas pretty much the weekend after that. Uh, actually maybe it was a couple days after that and, um, I hunted the rut down there in texas um passes, actually oh, yeah. to be more specific and uh, man that was a really cool hunt uh we were on braxton byers and jessica byers um uh land there yeah and uh, have you
4: been keeping right, up with your uh, new zealand trip
6: <laughs> i have oh I man have. yeah man that,
4: it looks awesome
6: yeah that was pretty exciting um yeah. that was a pretty cool trip in fact that was uh we we um uh, we work with Adam and Kimmy, as well as uh, Jessica Braxton, as well as Rihanna. So uh-huh. it was kind of a, a whole Team Acubo get-together down there, uh-huh. which was uh, pretty, pretty cool to see. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, man, that, that looks like a dream trip for sure, definitely on the bucket list. Absolutely.
4: Um, but so you but had any case, with them uh, in Lampas' beautiful area, though. Was, was that your first time to the Texas Hill Country?
6: Yeah, man, that was uh, that was my first time hunting whitetails in Texas, and um, man, I just I could not believe uh, how many deer we saw in that time. I think it was four four days of hunting, and um, it was cool because I mean, with that many deer, you can really be uh, picky and choosy. And uh, man, they were they were running all over the place. You know, typically, uh, I'm I'm kind of used to you know hunt until about 10 a.m getting out grabbing some lunch and then you know coming back to the last three or four hours of, of daylight in the evening time but those deer were just running all day long so i mean i think we took maybe an hour break for lunch every day and then and then got back into the blind because they were just moving all day long okay. so um it was cool yeah shot a beautiful 10, ten pointer i believe it was um there and then I got back to Illinois, and um, I ended up um shooting, I ended up tagging out back here in Illinois, um, on another kind of wacky looking buck. Uh, he had like a uh, like a fish hook, it was it, not really a drop time, but more of a, like a fish hook coming off of one of his sides, and that was a cool hunt. I um, I, I actually watched this buck chase a doe around for maybe two hours and they bedded down about 500 yards away. I was hunting these, uh, these old bunker fields, public land here in Illinois. And, uh, I was up on top of maybe this 25 foot bunker. So I could really see a lot. And, um, uh, so I, I knew exactly where they were and I, I got the wind right in my face and I spot and, and stalked up on top of a bunker, um, about 70 yards away from, from these deer. And I, I, put an arrow right in that, that buck's heart while he was bedded down there. And, uh,
4: at 70 yards. Yeah.
6: Yeah. 70 yards. Um, that was, that was as close as I could get, you know, so
4: uh, I had, you've been practicing that's for sure.
6: (laughs) I had, yeah, I had everything right. All the conditions were right. And he, uh, he was calm. And, um, so yeah, man, I, you know, I, I practice, I like to practice out to 80, 90, a hundred yards sometimes, um, even though I know I, I, I'm probably not ever going to get a um, perfect opportunity at those distances, because it really does need to be perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're when you're shooting at those distances, even if you can make the shot, so many things can happen in that distance. Um, it's not always the best shot to take. So I like to practice though out at those longer distances, so that I can, um, so that you know, the 50, 60, 70, even you know, 15, 20. Uh, they just feel that much, that, that much easier, you know, oh, what I'm yeah. saying? when you're, you're when you're used to, right, right, exactly. Yeah. Um, hmm. and then lastly, the, I, after that hunt, I shot over to New Jersey, which, you know, I mean, when you think of hunting whitetails, I think New Jersey might be one of the last States that comes to mind. Right. right. <laughs> and, uh, so I was, I was pleasantly surprised though. I, um, I, I I can't tell you how many deer I saw out there in New Jersey, um, and that was that was a pretty awesome hunt. Um, Tagged out there, I think on the second day, and uh, with my buddy Craig Meyer, and who actually Craig he just moved down there to Texas. Yeah,
4: yeah, um, No, We follow each other on Instagram. He's a good dude.
6: Yeah, He's a he police is. Police officer. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. He's a really good dude. So uh, he's, um, uh, down there in Texas now, so I'm going to have to have him hook me up on some whitetails down there. But in any case, um, yeah, man, he put me on the deer out there in New Jersey and that was, that was really cool. I shot a really old kind of wacky looking buck. Um, but at least a six and a half year old deer. Um, and, uh, and then, and then a couple days later, so we got that on camera and then, couple days later I was on camera and we got Craig shooting a, uh, a big old, um, uh, he called him, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. He shot a big old nine pointer, um, big deer. And, uh, in that same hunt we had right after that deer came in and Craig shot him, we had a, uh, this buck he called the no brows buck, which is just a huge six pointer, um, with no brow tines, And, um, Man, I we almost doubled up on camera, and because uh, I had a second peg out there, and um, we tried to switch and maneuver. And um, this was a new this was a new stand set. I I, I hadn't set it up, and I wasn't used to it. Uh, but my bow hook happened to be um, in which which I didn't know about when I went to draw on this deer. He was at like 45 yards, uh, perfectly broadside. I went to draw on him. And my bow hook was um, my bow hook prevented my drawing arm from going back any further. So I I, I literally couldn't get my bow drawn. I actually I almost hurt myself pretty bad because I was I was in I was in full draw kill mode, and all of a sudden, uh, you know, I'm pulling back my 80 pound elite, and all of a sudden my 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 draw arm, my elbow stops, and it and it hits something, and my bow comes, you know, launching forward um not 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 really a dry fire my arrow didn't release but it made a bunch of noise and and uh that buck picked us out and he was gone. The gig was up, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Well, still
4: anyways,
3: a
6: hell of a man. season. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a cool season. That was pretty much the end of my season uh, about mid December. Um after mm. that, I had to get ready. Um I had to actually do some work, you know, believe mm. it or not. I had to get ready for our big um our big launch. Which I'm sure we're, we're going to talk about here yeah. um, at the at the ATA show. So there's a lot of preparations needed for that holiday season all that stuff. So my season was pretty much over.
4: Well, let me ask you this: going back to Illinois, um, what is public land hunting like there? Because obviously the Midwest has a bunch of big bucks. Um, they're not under every tree, obviously, but uh, like here in Texas, for example, public land deer hunting. There are some like WMA's, some lakes. Some places you can do it, but our, our public land hunting for whitetail, I would say, is is pretty paltry. What's it like for you?
6: Yeah, so a lot of people ask me about this. Um, I guess one thing that I have in my and we'll paper, need GPS not...
4: coordinates also. When, you know,
6: right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, hey man, I'll give you all GPS coordinates, but I'll tell you one thing: it's uh, it's not easy. Illinois does not make it easy for non-resident hunters. Yeah, uh, that is that's only one one catch to all of this. But, uh, one advantage I I do have, I guess, is that I've been hunting public land, uh, with a bow since I was about 12 years old. Um, not to get too off topic, but basically my, my, um, my parents, they would, they would drop me off when I was a little kid. They would go take me out to the public woods and drop me off and I'd go hunting. They'd pick me up when I was done. And, um, eventually my dad said, "You know what? Um, I want to I want to go out there with you, you know. I want to want to see what this is all about." So I taught him how to shoot a bow when I was about 16 and then, you know, now he's just as obsessed with bow hunting whitetails out here <laughs> as I am. So, uh, but anyways, I've been I've been hunting public land out here for a long time and um, you know, it's it's really good hunting because obviously Illinois we have we have the genetics here. Uh, It's really good hunting, obviously, if if you kind of know what to do and you know where to go uh, and you know how the deer behave. uh, I guess that's probably true for pretty much anywhere. But in in our case, um, you know, just like probably most public land hunting areas, we we do get slammed with a lot of hunters because there's not a whole lot of private access here in Illinois. Um, Or if there is, they're pretty much snatched up by people who lease hunting land or um, basically just don't allow hunting or you know, uh, kind of just hunt it for themselves if they own it. Um, so you know, I, I live about 45 minutes outside of Chicago um, where you know uh, a lot of people might think it's it's pretty suburbanized, which it is, but you've got these pockets of, of rural uh, ag- agriculture land and state land and um, that allow, that allow deer hunting, bow hunting. Um, and what I try to do out here in in Illinois is, um, I I pretty much try, I I hunt the other hunters. So I try and go as far as I can. I try and go as far away from the other hunters as, as I, as I think I can go. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, a lot of times I'll put my lone wolf tree stand or whatever portable tree stand I'm using, um, on my back and, And I'll try to get in real tight spots and real, real, real hairy looking trees that you probably would think you can't get a tree stand up in. And, um, and I'll go maybe three, two or three miles at a time on foot with, with all my gear and just get back out there. And, uh, where these deer aren't as, uh, educated, they're not as spooky. Um, and you know, that's, that's of course where the mature deer go because yeah. they're smart like that,
4: right? Well, so so the public land spots though, I'm just trying to figure out this animal, uh, Illinois public land hunting, because like I said, ours is is pretty paltry. That's why I have, uh, you know, a lease in Oklahoma and another one in Texas where I deer hunt, just because opportunity uh-huh. is so poor. Um, and and so are these tracts of land pretty big? I mean, if you're walking in two or three miles, they've got to have some size to them, and and are they? mostly hardwoods or
6: yeah yeah that's a good question so um a lot of the areas that the areas that i like to hunt here in illinois the public land areas i like to hunt i like to hunt the big the big um parcels of land so there's public land spots and i mean believe it or not there are a ton of public land hunting opportunities here in illinois uh you could go on the illinois dnr website and um look at public areas Mm -hmm. and they'll give you, they're sectioned off by zones. You know, I think there's like six zones here in Illinois. And, um, I mean, they'll give you a laundry list of public land areas that, you know, if you live here in Illinois, you maybe, you maybe had no idea that they existed. Um, and on all of these public lands, you know, they'll give you a chart and it'll say, you know, is deer hunting allowed? Yes. Firearm bow only, these sorts of things. And I like to look for the big parcels of land, you know, um, Lots of acreage because um, that's where you can kind of separate yourself from other hunters. Sure. Um, and you know, a lot of these public land areas. Uh, one of them that I was hunting, I kind of touched on it. It's probably the one that I hunt the most. It's actually an old military uh, bunker field. In the Civil War, they used to um, they used to manufacture ammunition out at this place. Huh. Um, and they've got all these old uh, railroad systems running through. Uh, it's pretty wild looking, and they've got all these bunker hills uh, where they used to store ammunition. Um, all these old electrical light pole systems, and and barns, and um, and uh, manufacturing buildings that are all broken down. Um, so it's a, it's a cool little place. But uh, believe it or not, Illinois does a lot. Uh, the state they what they'll do is they'll lease out. Um, tracks within these public land areas to um, farmers or the state will farm them themselves and they'll plant soybeans, they'll plant winter wheat, They'll some of them will plant corn, um, alfalfa, all sorts of you know good good stuff to keep these deer growing and healthy and mature. I hope someone um, from
4: Texas Parks and Wildlife
6: is listening and taking notes here. Yeah <laughs> yeah man so so that's how they do it here in Illinois. And, and uh, a lot of people don't know about all this, you know, yeah. as far as public land hunting goes. Um, and, you know, if you're willing to pay the, I think it's like 450 bucks or something for a non-resident tag and um, come up here and bow hunt Illinois, um, you know, I would, I would suggest looking for, um, you know what, I'll just throw out a couple names in case anybody's taking notes. Um, in central Illinois, kind of around Springfield, Panther Creek is a uh, is a gold mine, hidden gem. Um, hmm. There is tons and tons and tons of agriculture that's planted within that public land area. And um, if you look at it on a map, your head will spin. I think it's one of the biggest public land hunting areas um, because every place looks good. I mean, you got. You got rolling hills, ravines. You got tons of timber. You got tons of food, agriculture. um, You know, lakes, creeks, rivers running through it. So the Panther Creek is is a it's it's, that's about a two and a half hour drive for me. So when I go there, it's like a trip. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like a it's like a staycation. Yeah. Um, But uh, locally, I hunt this place called Madewin. That's that's the bunker field I was kind of telling you about the old military zone um, and it's huge man it's really huge I I uh, there's there's a really good mixture here in the public land areas of, of wooded uh, timber and um, of course that provides a ton of uh, foliage acorns uh, browse for those deer to eat uh, on top of all the agriculture and stuff that that the state and um, that the the uh, Farmers that lease lease the property within there will will provide. So, sure. um,
4: well, 450 bucks yeah, isn't that much. I mean, you know, if if anyone elk hunts, they're dropping that much on that tag. Or um, so for for me, for example, in Oklahoma, I'm a non-resident, so I have to pay, and they gouge you. They have an archery season; it's 280 bucks. If I want to hunt the muzzleloader season, they give me a deal; it's 280 bucks. And if I want to hunt rifle, I get a big discount; it's 280 bucks. So, I mean, like, if you hunt all three seasons, you're in for almost $900, you know?
6: Yeah. 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 Wow, that's that's pretty crazy, especially awesome for discount. residents. Right?
4: <laughs> yeah. I'm like, come on, give oh, me a break here.
6: Uh, that's definitely not a hometown discount. <laughs> no.
4: Uh-uh. Well, cool stuff, man. Well, that's that's fascinating. I saw on your Instagram when you shot that public land deer, and I was like, huh. I, I knew Illinois had giant bucks, but I didn't know you could find them on public land, so... Uh, thanks for sharing that and, and not being too secretive. Obviously, that like you said, those tracks and land are, are pretty big, so you're not worried about sharing them with other hunters. Um, let's do this. <laughs> let's do this, Matt. Let's take a quick commercial break, come back, and talk about some of the new stuff um, that Acubo has going on. Sound good?
6: Sounds good, Cable. Looking forward to it. Yes, sir.
0: And that segment, by the way, was brought to you by a couple Texas traditions, Lone Star Beer and Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue. Here's what you do. When you get off that lake with a limit of crappie this weekend, you head over to Rudy's Barbecue. You grab yourself a plate of their smoked brisket, and you wash it down with an ice-cold Lone Star beer. Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas. We'll be right back with more from ACCO's Matt Pell. You're listening to the Lone Star of Show. Me, I'm
1: doing fine with my 30-pound test line. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep the sand out of my beer.
0: Hey, y'all, Cable here for 3Curl Outfitters. And whether you want to bow hunt hogs or get after them with thermal imaging and night vision, under the cover of darkness, 3Curl has you covered. They've got the latest and greatest thermal imaging and night vision technology. They hunt unlimited, I mean, just thousands upon thousands of acres of ag fields. Or if you're a bow hunter and you want to sit in a stand and wait for the hog to come to you, uh, they can do that as well. Check it out, 3Curl.com, to book your next hog hunt.
2: I'm Craig Boddington. Don't fight it, let it move you It's bloodline, and
1: it's running through you It's deeper than the river, running through the hills And deeper than the sugar giving you children If it don't kill you, if it don't
2: kill you That's
0: a jam there, folks oh, family revival, if it don't, kill you, it with the don't, don't kill, you. kill you Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club Cable Smith, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players, as well. And thanks to you for being here. It is a pleasure to be talking outdoors with you, fine folks, today. As uh, we are actually visiting with Acubo CEO and founder, uh, passionate bow hunter Matt Pell, joining us from Illinois. Uh, but before we pick it back up with Matt, this segment of the show is brought to you by rustic reminders taxidermy with locations in san antonio and marion texas josh and becky gunther they've been taking care of me and all of my trophy mounts for seven years now and i'd never use anyone else i, I went through the ringer with bad taxidermists who wouldn't answer the phone when i called who were so shady uh, always dodging you never being up front about when you could expect to have your mount back you don't get that with josh and becky you get a realistic estimate and extremely quick turnaround time on world-class taxidermy. Uh, they're the best. Check them out at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. All right. Uh, well, let's go ahead and pick it back up with Matt Pell, who was nice enough to stick around through the break. We certainly appreciate you doing so, Matt.
6: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me again. You bet. Um,
4: so we talked a little bit about your whitetail season, uh, public land hunting in Illinois. Actually, you're all over the map, came down to Texas, killed a buck, uh, had success in New Jersey. It was a hell of a whitetail season for you. And, uh, and it seems like things are going very well for Acubo as well. Some new stuff has been in the works. And the first thing I want to talk about though, is the, uh, the interactive app. And I personally have a, uh. An Android, So I don't have it yet on my phone, but uh, my buddy and sales guy Gil has an iPhone. So whenever he comes over, I'm like, give me that, give me that so I can mess around with it. Um, and, and I've enjoyed it because it has two shooting scenarios. You can do like Olympic style target shooting and more of like a hunting uh, style uh, app. Talk a little bit about that, how long it's been out. And I'm sure that it took a lot of work to get this thing up and, and to market.
6: Yeah, yeah, definitely has taken a lot of time, effort, money, work. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this whole uh, augmented reality system has actually uh, been in the works since uh, we first launched Acubo. Acubo. Um, of course, in order to use it, you need to get our phone mount accessory in order to attach your phone to the Acubo. And um, actually, every Acubo we've ever sold has this phone mount adapter behind the laser on the akubo uh which allows you to attach the phone mount accessory and um surprisingly no one's really ever asked us like uh before we launched this system kind of what that thing what that little port that that adapter on the boat does you know but every every Acubo has it um so if you've ever bought an akubo you can use this system now uh and we just launched the um, this is this is actually the world's first ever augmented reality um, archery training system and we just launched it at this year's ATA show back in January that's where um, that's where it was seen for the first time ever. Uh, it was a huge hit I mean our booth was flooded with people in fact the people across from us at the ATA show um, complained to the ATA board, I think about four times throughout the show because um, people were waiting to try it um, in front of our booth and they were they were crowding into their booth. So <laughs> I guess that's a good problem to have. But I wouldn't be complaining.
4: Um, I think the more people around your booth, the better off you're going to be.
6: Well, it's a trade show, right? Why would right. you complain about <laughs> foot traffic near your booth? But yeah. hey, man. You know, some people are just uh, some people are just like, like that. put
4: but, me next to the beer, I'd be happy. Like who, you know, that's where
6: <laughs> all the traffic's gonna right? be. Right. <laughs> that's where you want. That's where you want to be, man. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, in any case, yeah, we uh, this this new virtual system. Essentially, you attach your phone to the Acubo and um, you're looking at your phone uh, just as if you would be looking through your bow sight. It creates this virtual reality in front of the bow. And um, as you're move, as you're moving the bow through space, you're actually aiming uh, at your targets. And the environment that it creates in front of your phone, uh, the target environment, um, is a is a completely fixed environment. So it's you can do this anywhere, uh, any place, anytime. Um, just pick up your acubo. and we have the Olympic target shooting mode as well as the bow hunting mode uh, for right now. So, we, we kind of cater to pretty much all walks of life, whether you're a competitive target shooter or whether you're strictly a bow hunter, or may, maybe you're both. Um, and in the bow hunting mode, we've got whitetail, we've got uh, black bear, and we've got elk for right now. Um, the elk is set out at 60 yards. So, uh, for you elk hunters out there, um, you know, a lot of times you're, you're often Practicing and anticipating making these long shots on elk. Um, and so that's kind of, we added that little element of difficulty setting that elk target kind of way out there in the app. And it also allows you to kind of practice at different distances uh, as well, whereas the whitetail and the, the black bear are set at a uh, standard 20 yards away. Uh-huh. So, um, yeah, and I like man, what
4: I like about it. Like, so I've been, when Gil's brought it over, been using playing with the elk, you know, getting ready for September, drew a tag in New Mexico. Can't wait. Um, uh, but I'm all kind of kind kinds of fired up for that hunt. And, uh, what I like about it is once you make the shot, it, it actually spins the animal around so you could see like kind of, you know, all the way through the animal, where your arrow hit, where the vitals are. Uh, it's pretty cool.
6: Yeah, man. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of an educational tool in that regard. Um, so you you can actually see you know where the vital regions are um on an animal you know if you're a seasoned veteran obviously you know you know the deal you know where to put your arrow um but you know maybe you've got a son that's getting into bow hunting you got kids um and and you want to use this as an educational tool uh and instead of just saying hey put it behind the shoulder you know maybe uh maybe you you don't put it right behind the shoulder if the animal's quartering to you or quartering away. We have that feature within the app where there's a randomized uh, quartering. Uh, you don't know if the animal's going to be exactly broadside, quartering away, quartering to you. Uh, and so you can, you can definitely teach new and uh, beginning bow hunters um, on this app kind of uh, proper arrow placement. And mm-hmm. um, of course, you know, hopefully that leads to fewer wounded animals running around there when the season hits.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And, and so right now it's available on, on iPhone and you told me off there that it shouldn't be too long until all of us Android folks will be able to get it as well.
6: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I feel terrible about the fact that we, you know, we weren't able to launch both iPhone and Android at the same time. It's kind of just the nature of the game. Um, in in the app development world, surprisingly, um, believe it or not, a lot of a lot of apps do launch on iOS, Apple first, before the Android version comes out. Even though I know, you know, we pissed off a lot of Android uh, <laughs> people, uh, and and I, I know they're chomping at the bit, and and we appreciate, you know, the patience. Hopefully, we uh, didn't make you too angry, but um, we have been working on the Android version and. That is hopefully scheduled to uh, release by the end of June. So really, not too not too far away. Um, maybe even middle of June. Uh, awesome. We got to go through a little de- debugging process and make sure that it's it's good to go. There's no glitches. There's no bugs before we put it out there to the public. But uh, we're excited about it, and um, I know that there are a ton of, ton of Android users in this outdoor industry. It's weird, you know, here in the U.S., uh, the average consumer, I think it's about 60-40 iPhone users versus Android. But I'm kind of coming to find out that I I think the outdoor industry is actually a little bit more heavily um, Android-dominated versus versus iPhone, which, you know, I, I don't know the exact numbers or statistics on that, but it's kind of just something i've I've picked up since we launched this app that that man, there's a ton of Android users that that we're not reaching right now with this app, so we gotta get it out there, man. We're working fast
4: well, not it won't be too long um so obviously very excited about the app and uh you get a better deal than the state of Oklahoma gives me on my hunting license how much is the
6: app? so the app is free to download and there you, you, get, go. you get um. You get unlimited gameplay for the first 30 minutes that you download it so you can try uh, all the bow hunting features, all the Olympic target features, uh, and you could shoot as many arrows as you want within that 30 minutes. Uh, After that 30 minutes is up, the Olympic target shooting mode is completely free uh, to use throughout the entirety of the app. Uh, We we have a daily arrow limit, um, so if you want to, you know, basically pluck away and shoot as many arrows as you want all day long. Um, You could pay a little bit extra in the in-app purchase for that. Uh, And if you want to unlock all the bow hunting modes, it's just a little bit more as well to uh, get all the bow hunting features unlocked within the app as well.
4: Right on, right on. Well, awesome stuff on that front. We're going to do a giveaway on our social Uh, once the app is available on Android, because we want everybody to have a chance to win it. So y'all stay tuned for that coming up in June. And we're going to include, the uh, obviously, the Acubo, the mount, uh, the whole nine yards. Um, Yeah. A couple other things about the Acubo itself. So if anyone out there is listening and and they're not familiar with Acubo, haven't seen it, haven't held one, um, it's really an invaluable tool for training. Number one, muscle memory, and, and exercise. I mean, when you're drawing, you're, you're, you're training those muscles, but you're, I mean, you're obviously working them as well. And, uh, and I wanted to ask you though, as far as the muscle groups that the acubo focuses on, um, what, what is it hitting? And, and this is not just for AccuBow, it's for whenever you're shooting, you know, obviously any bow, uh, but what are those main muscle groups that, uh, that archery works?
6: Yeah, um, well, predominantly the, the major muscle groups that archery uh, pulling back a bow focuses on would be uh, your shoulders, um, your upper back, uh, rhomboid area, and um, then you also use a little bit of your triceps in your holding arm, uh, bracing that bow as, it, that, as the strings coming back, and then a little bit of your biceps as well uh, in, your, in your pulling arm. Um, But the the major muscle groups that it focuses are, like I said, shoulders, upper back. And um, so if we can train these muscle groups uh, to um, specifically in the motion of pulling back a bow, you know, we're going to be able to increase our our pulling poundage. We're going to be able to increase our holding stability, which, uh, you know, a lot of people that say they suffer from target panic or um, things of that nature. Maybe they're just very inconsistent. They can't get tight groups. Uh, that could be due to a lack of holding stability at full draw. Basically, your pin is kind of moving all over the place and you you just can't get it steady on your target. Um, And that's especially true for shooting at longer distances. If you have any lack of stability at full draw, um, holding your pin on a target at uh, 70 yards or 60 yards or whatever it may be is really going to be a challenge. You're going to be very inconsistent. Um, And then as bow hunters as well, being drawn back on an animal for long periods of time. I mean, if you're a bow hunter and you've been doing this long enough, um, you know that you've been in those situations where you've maybe had to hold your bow back for at least 60 seconds or so, because you get that one opportunity to draw when the animals mm-hmm. not paying, not paying attention. And then you, you got to wait until he opens up those vitals to, uh, flip an arrow in there. So, um, there's a, there's a lot of uh, good strength training features to the acubo. Of course, it's fully adjustable from 10 to 70 pounds. So, um, you mentioned to me earlier off air that, you know, your five-year-old son is able to pull this back and yeah. use it.
4: I was, I we got, were watching TV and I was, you know, obviously had my acubo and he was kind of, he has a little plastic bow and arrow and he's like, what is that? And I was like, well, this is, you know, a tool that I use to train for bow hunting. And he's like, well, can I try it? And I was like, Well, sure, let me turn it down from 65 to 10 pounds and we'll see if you can do it. And he didn't think he was going to be able to, but, uh, at 10 pounds, he was just strong enough to pull it back. So that was pretty cool.
6: Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, we were just at a, um, we are just at a, um, a national archery tournament, NASP nationals, where there's like 15,000 shooters and, um, all pretty much kids younger than the high school age. And, um, kids just, I mean, love the Acubo because it's, it's to them, it's like a, uh, it's like almost like a game, but it's, but it's a functional game. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So, uh, if you got kids that you want to get them off the Xbox and actually get them doing something, I mean, everything's done on phones these days. Kids have their faces buried into their cell phones. So, uh, if you want to actually get them doing something a little bit worthwhile uh this is a great resource for that as well and you know like i said like you said i mean you can use it i can use it uh but then all the way down to maybe five six seven eight year old they can benefit from it as well so it's a very universal tool and and very unique in that regard how you can completely adjust the the poundage and uh, make it useful for the whole family
4: yeah and i believe they the msrp is 149.99 is that right
6: yeah that's right uh you may find it for 149.99 with shipping um, on our website acubo.com and then you may be able to find it on amazon for 159.99 of course if you got amazon prime which uh, most people do there's free shipping on there um so yeah, man, we're pretty much all over the map. We're on Cabela's.com. We're on Dick's Sporting Goods' website. We're on Field & Stream. i um, going to be up on Sportsman's Guide website here within the next couple weeks. Um, and we may be in Academy stores later this year in the fourth quarter. So awesome. um, lots of ways to find the Acubo. Get your hands on one and, and try it out.
4: Well, things are going well. Obviously, the growth uh, for Acubo has been... Exceptional for such a a relatively young company. Um, You're a gym rat, much like myself. So here's, I want to end this interview is, you know, you talked about those muscle groups that are uh, imperative for consistency in in bow hunting or competitive archery shooting. Um, Give me one exercise that you think is great for both shoulders, back, and then triceps, your favorite for each muscle group, which are the the three most important when it comes to to drawing and, and holding a bow.
6: Besides the acubo,
4: well, obviously, besides the acubo, that that's just like
6: a part of the deal. I mean, <laughs> um, you know what? You know what I would recommend? I um, I think that um, getting just right down to the basics, I like um, dumbbell sh- dumbbell military press, basically an upright shoulder press uh, with dumbbells, uh, making sure to keep those dumbbells pretty much um, outside of your shoulders or right at your shoulder level. A lot of, a lot of people will bring those dumbbells inside and you never want the dumbbells to touch up at the top of the lift. Uh, that's a big no, no, because you're pretty much taking the, uh, the stress off of your shoulders, which is, that's, that's where you want to focus the Mm -hmm. exercise. And then, um, I like barbell rows as well as, um, just a standard pull-up. And if you can't do a pull-up um just a a straight bar straight bar um lat pull down on the cables will uh will do justice as well until so you can kind of work yourself up to a, a regular wide grip pull up. Um but yeah man those are some pretty pretty basic exercises that'll do you well. I think um you know the biggest thing uh I, I see in the archery industry is um people not not warming up properly before they shoot, warming up their shoulders, warming up their upper back, and um, you know they'll get shoulder injuries because maybe they're they're picking up their bow for the first time in a month or two months or however long it's been, and uh, you know maybe at the end of last season pulling seventy pounds or sixty pounds or whatever you're at was uh, was no problem, but you haven't you haven't been working those archery muscle groups and
4: spending too um, much time fishing.
6: Right. Don't get me don't get me wrong. Um, going to the gym is great, but there's very very few things that you can do that that can exactly mimic the the movements of pulling back a bow. Uh, of course, there's things you can do that that can help, but um, I've always been an avid believer that uh, shooting a bow since I was ten years old. I I haven't found one way to exactly replicate those movements that you use in shooting a bow, um, and. Uh, even though i i'll go to the gym in the off season if i'm not if i'm not working those mechanics on the acubo or pulling my actual bow back um i know that um taking a couple weeks off or even a month i'm gonna be i'm gonna be struggling a little bit and also putting myself up for risk of injury um, when i do when i do go to pull back my 80 pound bow so um yeah just a couple i guess tips um I I hate to see people these days switch over to the crossbow because they've got a shoulder injury or whatever, you know, the Acubo is a great way to kind of uh, rehab any sort of shoulder injury you have. We've got a ton of users that use the Acubo specifically for that rehabilitation purpose. Um, and, And the reason why is that you can dial it down and kind of incrementally build your strength back up without, you know, let's say you're, let's say you got your bow, tuned up to 60 pounds and you hurt your shoulder and now you're scared to pull back 60 pounds Well, work on the acubo start at 30 40 50 and build your way up to that 60 until you've you know mm-hmm. built those muscles back you've built those muscles back you've recovered those those impingements that maybe you have um and you know you have the confidence to to draw that poundage that you used to be able to do so yeah man um hopefully hopefully uh we kind of we're able to educate some people on on those aspects and um, hopefully absolutely people that'll that'll benefit from from those little tips
4: well right on well hey Matt always the pleasure my friend and uh, I look forward to our next visit
6: all right cable sounds good buddy thanks for having me
4: yeah and y'all stay tuned uh, probably June we'll have the, uh, the acubo giveaway so y'all want to stay tuned for cool. that Matt take care man we'll talk soon all right thanks guys See you.
0: All right, there he goes, Acubo's Matt Pell. Uh, Always interesting visiting with Matt, and certainly I'm excited to have that virtual app available on my Android. So that should be coming out here in the very near future. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, Land, that's the one thing they're not going to make any more of. Uh, If they are, that'd be pretty awesome, but I don't think that's going to happen. So... If you're looking to finance your own slice of paradise, whether that's for hunting, recreating, running cattle, or just a place to get away uh, from the concrete jungle, then you know who to call. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over a hundred years. They'll do the same for you and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. Unfortunately, that's going to do it for today's broadcast. Got to go, got to get out of here. I do want to say thanks to both of our guests, Ben O'Brien of Yeti Coolers and Matt Pell of Acubo. We will do it again, same time, same place, next week. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors.